The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business on News Talk. Now, I'm joined by broadcaster and writer Stephanie Preisner and journalist Lise Hand to look at the stories that are making the news this weekend. And we start with the political one, Lise, uh, because this is one that you will have a lot of uh, direct experience of, given the amount of time that you would have spent in Leinster House. Brendan Howland has decided to hang up his spurs. He is quitting as a TD as of the next election after 40 years. That's right, yes. I mean, it's some career. Um, and he really has been there through the highs and lows and the ups and downs of the of the Labour Party. I mean, he would have been, he would have sort of ridden the crest of the spring tide back in uh, 1992. And then he was also kind of, at, you know, co-helming the, the ship through the uh, ship of state when it hit the rocks in the early um, 2000s when the bank crash happened and all that. And um, it's interesting in the piece in the Irish Times this morning, like he does talk about that and he, you know, he alludes to that particular period of time um, <clears throat> when it was just damn scary because, and I've heard a few other ministers that were around cabinet table at that time, they've never really gone into it in huge detail, but you do get the sense that of the absolute fear. And I remember it around Leinster House, Anton. I mean, you know, I was working as a, as a sort of parliamentary sketch writer at that time, so I was around a lot. And every press conference you went to, I mean, I remember sitting in the Department of Finance when the Mandarins, which is norm, you know, gave their their outlook on for, for you know in two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine. And normally it's really boring, and there's sort of lots of charts with just lines going around it. This thing, it was just downhills, downhills, and they were ashen. And you know, I mean, I don't know one end of it of a sum from another, but even I came out going, "This isn't good, lads, is it?" And I think Brendan Howland really was in the thick of that and he gives a bit of a sense of just how scary that was around that time. Was that what ultimately cost him, the Labour Party, its positioning? Because when I go back and look at the springtide, there was a point where you said Labour is becoming a political force that could be what Sinn Féin now is, the equal of Fianna Fáil and the equal of Fine Gael. And in two instances, it slipped through their fingers. Once off the back of the springtide and the collapse of the Reynolds coalition, and then the other time off the Gilmore for Taoiseach period that saw Howland in in finance. Well, absolutely. I mean, the obviously the springtide, you know, went out rapidly because he did, uh, then leader Dick Spring did precisely what he said he wouldn't do. And having excoriated the, the Hawhey government, got in on the, you know, came in on the, on the sort of on the top of that and then basically went around and went into coalition with them. Um, and again, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that the, I mean, I recall the mood of optimism around the Labour camp around that time. I still, to this day, drink from a mug I robbed from Labour headquarters, which had Gilmore for Taoiseach on it. <laughs> and I, every time I might feel in danger of suffering from any kind of hubris, I basically drink out of this to remind the myself. The classic stolen mug is a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I have is. a Sunday Tribune corkscrew that I really enjoy using. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I tell you, it's very good, but it's, it's a very necessary thing to do every now and then. But um, yeah, I, you know, I think that really, that was quite unfortunate because they were absolutely sure that the Finnegan the Finnega Labour um, was going to happen that they were going to fly home. They didn't. And possibly, you know, it was the best thing ever happened to them is that they didn't actually get into power because, you know, a month after that election, the whole thing went into, you know, you know, went downhill. Um, but, you know, Brendan Howland has seen it all. He really has. He's he's been there for that. He's, you know, he can kind of, you know, dust, dust himself off and say, right, I saw through the good and the bad times where it leaves the Labour Party. I mean, he's leaving it at a time where 
you really wonder where they're going to go. It's they seem to be moribund. They've tried a few different leaders. Nothing seems to be taking. They've never really got that. They're not offering anything that isn't already there, you know, and I wonder if like Labour Party voters have you know, the tightest grip of a grudge, you know, that ever, because lots of political parties make promises and they don't keep them. And we're like, oh God, you said you'd do this and you didn't do it. And then Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, I mean, they all do it, but we all forget, you know, or else at least we still vote for them when they come back and tell us they're going to do the next thing. But Labour has been absolutely decimated. And I think that the Labour voter typically, you know, they call themselves a democratically socialist party. But that's the Social Democrats like. So that's, you know, like there's nothing, they're not really offering anything. But is it a positioning as a prawn sandwich socialism and those who actually want left now decide that lives with Sinn Féin? Well, yes. And I think, you know, we have the potential to see the same thing happen with Sinn Féin if they then go into coalition with Fianna Fáil or Mm. Fianna Gael, and they won't go in with Fianna Gael, but with Fianna Fáil, um, there's very little left, left. And I think we're actually really lucky that Labour kept uh, Fine Gael more to the centre than they otherwise may have done in those times when they were in coalition. But yeah, I just am not sure really that Labour are offering anything that people can't get elsewhere. Yeah, that's that, that is an issue. And you're absolutely right, Stephanie, about the, you know, Labour voters do have a, a long memory and they do tend to, to bear grudges and they still, you know, Labour still get, get in the neck today saying, yeah. you know, you let us down, you betrayed us, you didn't protect us. From the right wing, the right they wing did push the boat out very far though in that twenty eleven election. I mean, you remember the Tesco ad and the Berlin versus Boston, and oh, there was yeah. a they, they went set after a bar it. High. Yeah, yeah, they did. They set the bar high, and then they basically flopped under it. So um, they've never really. The other thing I was trying to think about was the amount of politicians who have had over the years the capacity to do the, their own graceful exit at the timing of their choice. There's not many that you can think of who, like Howland, are able to say, that's it, I'm going to fold my tent and away I'll go. I mean, Richard Bruton is, is one, but Richard Bruton wasn't coming from a particularly senior ministry at the point at which he did. There's not many who have been able to wave, take a bow. Well, that's leave. it. I mean, the you know the the, the hoary old adage, you know, all political careers end in favour and failure, yada yada. And you know, a lot of political careers come crashing to a halt on on you know when the ballot boxes are opened. Um, that's the sort of the, the normal way. I mean, there is, a, a, you know, a, a steady stream of people leaving now, which is um, I'm sure is very concerning for Finnegal in particular. Um, a lot of that a big though, piece in the Times today about that analysing, maybe it's Times or Indo, analysing the departures and who is likely to yeah, fill the, the gaps. Yeah, the boundary redraw, I think, had a lot of people had a look at that and thought, no, not for me, I'm going to get hammered. So it'll be an interesting next election. This whole national politics thing is all well and good, but we do need to move on to the important <laughs> things. That being Eve Houston, I'm sorry to define her by her family, but she is, of course, Bono's daughter, which is one of the um, things that has uh, drawn her into probably the media gaze. What has her in the public attention is that she is acting in a movie. And in that movie, she is playing a um, a working class, I guess is the I somebody from lower socioeconomic, whatever you want to call it, character. Here's a clip of her talking to Jack Rayner. You are a great mother. Am I? Happy birthday. What's that? It's yours. Don't want to play. Since when am I guitarist? <clears throat> I can't go on like this. Living in a shoebox with a kid who hates me. Can't wait for the day I don't have to be here. Go on! Go back to your dad! I might learn the guitar myself. That's just too funny. Takes years of practice. Commitment. Are you really going to talk to me about commitment? 
Now, she has come in for some flack on this, Stephanie, because the there is, um, I can't remember who it was, but a, a, an actor writing about it said that essentially it was wrong that somebody from a background like um, Eve Hewson would portray somebody with a background like that character. Uh, that just gets my goat, to be honest. Like, I hate this idea that you have to be what you're playing. It's acting and it brings into so many, like it opens so many problematic doors. If you have to, yes, if it is a minority group, someone like if there are, let's say, actors in wheelchairs and, you know, they are limited in the roles that they can get and a role for an actor in a wheelchair comes up, of course they should be seen. But we then will criticise, like if it's not the best actor for the role, we then criticise, God, that film was terrible. God, that actor couldn't do it. You know, God, that this is awful. And this idea that, and, it, and it's now moving into gender issues and transgender roles and, you know, you have to be gay to play a gay character. Well, and it's absolutely... Did Scarlett Johansson have to back out of something because she was playing a transgender character? Probably, I don't know. Like, it sounds like that is the <laughs> time we're in. I may have made it's, it up, but let's go with it. It's plausible. <laughs> and it's the time that we're in that you're kind of thinking. But then it's also really treacherous to put out a casting call for just transgender people because you, you're going to get the whole other side of the coin. And this idea that because she's from a wealthy family, like a lot of actors, I would say the majority of actors are from wealthy families because it's a privileged job where you don't get paid for a lot of time and either the state or your parents have to bankroll you for the first until you get established. So. Certainly on the grounds of uh, your socioeconomic position in the in society, I just think it's absolute nonsense. It's an interesting one, though, because if you look at some of the, the significant roles and characters, Tom Hanks has said that he probably couldn't play his character in um, Philadelphia again by virtue of the fact that he is a heterosexual and was playing a gay man. Um, likewise, you'd wonder if Daniel Day-Lewis could do Christy Brown in this day and age. You would wonder. Um, this is... And this exactly this is the issue. Um, <clears throat> I think that it, the nub of the matter is, though, it's acting. And I think, you know, if you are you, you know, is it going to be is it a film or is it some kind of drama documentary? I mean, that's really you've got to say this is the world of make believe. People have been playing parts that have nothing to do with their real lives. And this is a point, I think, the whole this is acting that. That was made by, I think it was John Carney himself, actually, I think, responded and said, like, you know, this is this is acting. And uh, I mean, when you look at the original criticism, I think the problem with it was it was almost like a criticism of two halves. He was saying, you know, oh, it's not very well done. It's it's cliched all that, which is fine. That's fair comment. Everybody has an opinion. But he used the words Bono's daughter. And I think this is the trouble. Um because, well, Bono is always divisive because, you know. He's I mean, Bono, let's He's be clear. Bono. So, I mean, you know, he's either a god or a pox, depending on your point of view, right? And that is, it has ever been thus. But, you know, that gets up my goat as well, because fine, you know, there's a snippiness about that. It's like she only got the part because she's Bono's daughter. Now, if you're the, this, you know, the offspring of somebody famous, Yes, possibly it will open a door at the at the outset. But Hollywood is a tough place, a tough gig. And if you're if you know, it doesn't matter whose daughter or son you are. If you if you don't, if you can't cut it, but you're just it. going to be shown the door straight being, away. Being Rosemary Clooney's nephew only went so far for George. <laughs> um, an interesting texting. Michael Sheen was saying earlier this year that only Welsh actors should play Welsh characters as well. That. I would have thought that shrinks your view. It gives you Mike, Michael Sheen and, and Anthony Hopkins and that's about it because Richard Burton's dead. Yeah, Richard Burton's dead. Exactly, Another text yeah. saying three letters brought in by Labour and Fine Gael. U 
S-C. That's why Labour's, uh, Labour is in the doldrums. This brings us, because of course it is budget week coming, which means there's a lot of analysis in the budget, but this brings us to a very interesting poll done by the Irish Times. And the reason that I think it's interesting is because it runs counter, at least from my take, it runs counter to an awful lot of what we have been told is the situation in the country. Because they asked, could your household afford to pay an unexpected but necessary expense of €1,000? In other words, if out of the blue you discovered, oh God, the immersion has keeled over, I have to find a grand right now. The way that it's portrayed in the Irish Times is almost half of adults couldn't handle that. But what the poll reveals is that 60% of them say they either don't know or, yep, that'd be no problem. I could put my hand in my pocket. I have a thousand euro ready to go. When asked if you're looking to consider emigration, they say 80% of people say, nope, not a bit. I'm happy out. When asked about how do you feel about the level of the global economy, will it get better or worse? Something to the order of, again, about three quarters of people say it's going to get better. This is all rosy in the garden, according to this poll. Yeah, but the way they framed it and the headline is almost half of adults could not handle. But that means that more than half of adults could handle. And there's, you know, there's sort of an agenda behind every statistic. Um, I think that the pre... uh, There's also a lot of speculation about the budget and, you know, Leo Varadkar saying, oh, it's going to be the child poverty budget and we're going to... It's going to be a bonanza. And then other people saying, no, this is basically an austerity budget. Um, That I think gives people hope. I think people feel like, okay... We've had the pandemic unemployment payment. We've had like government have shown that they do put their hands in their pockets when we need them to electricity, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be fine. We may see that change in the last week with people with, you know, banks saying, oh, I think we see a recession over there coming our way. And, you know, we'll see how the budget goes. But yeah, I mean, from my Instagram and my friends and the people that I'm talking to, you know, people are like, oh, it's Amazon Prime Day. Can you find me a good deal on a Hoover? You know, people are not. Well, this goes to John uh, Fitzgerald, the economist, was on with um, Kieran Shane during the week and they were talking about the cost of living crisis. And they got to a point in the interview where Kira began to examine whether or not John Fitzgerald, because he is an eminent economist, believed there actually was a cost of living crisis. Here's what he said. There are groups who are disadvantaged and in particular like the recent ESRI study by Barrow Rowntree, the children in poverty, that they're the groups whom I would target. um, So so John, are you saying that there's no cost of living crisis? If we're better off by 5% in the past four years, then then is is perspective and reality entirely different in this country? Yes. Yeah, at least there's no cost of living crisis. Well, I think... um, I suppose I'd say two things to that. There is always that thing about perception versus reality. And there are a there is a cohort that will always what I always call them the corrupt kippers, you know, and they're always the ones. Ah, Ireland is a corrupt kip and, you know, where everything is terrible and we're all awful and everybody's on the take and all that. And they just tend to be very loud. So they do tend to possibly Dominate, you know, dominate that the sort of the message to a certain extent. Um, but what if the squeeze middle? They're not corrupt kippers, and we've heard a lot of them recently. Not corrupt kippers, not a bit of it. But the the they tend just to be getting on with life. You know, they don't tend to be out shouting out shouting the odds about things are good or things are bad. I wonder um, if our definition of squeezed has changed. That maybe like we think 
that squeezed middle means, oh, I have to choose between heating and eating. But actually someone in the squeezed middle is like, well, if I can't do two weeks in Alicante, like I have previously done all these years, then that makes me squeeze. Well, that's what I, it baffles me with this poll. Pre-budget site, guys, 2023 question. Financially, which best describes your household? And the two positive ones are getting by or living comfortably. And 80% of people say we're either getting by or living comfortably. That's a significant counterpoint to what we have heard. And I mean, I w- I'm, I'm assuming there will but be texts coming people, in. who are these people, though? Who well, is this? Do we- Ipsos are one of those who, who go yeah. out and knock on doors and have margins of error and do all this as a professional thing. Yeah, but I suppose anybody who's squeezed is going to be working not at their door answering Ipsos. I don't know, I just would like to yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I always think it's a bit of a, it's, it's a bit like when you look at, you know, the home statistics and so on. You know, they, again, where the people who are without a house uh, or without a home are counted. You know, the people that are sort of couch surfing or living in somebody's, you know, living in someone's floor while they're trying to find someone aren't. And in a way, they're the sort of ones that tend to get missed in polls like this. It's the ones that really have no certainty in their in their life. They don't I don't think they tend to get counted. Um so I always sort of take these things yeah, polls are I mean polls as we know and particularly coming up to a budget, they're always what you make them. I mean it it's exactly how you do, how what the headline you put on them, mm-hmm. how you decide to interpret it. People will look at that and they will see, yes, all the positives and others will just see the negatives. And I think polls coming up to budget are always politically freighted as well. They're always trying to send some kind of message. I have to apologise to behaviours and attitudes because I suggested they were Ipsos and they are, of course, two very different <laughs> and I assume competing organisations. This poll is done by behaviours and attitudes. If you want to see the details of it, it's on page four of today's uh, Irish Times. Question, last night was the I am told because I was at the Imros, which is in part why I sound a little like Barry White. It was quite loud last night. Um, the Last night was the Late Late Show country music special. Did either, either of you watch it? Nope. No, but my husband <laughs> woke me up this morning to tell me that uh, the Late Late Show country music was on and de- they opened with Declan Nurney's uh, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off and my husband told me that is his favourite country music song. It's probably information I should have had before I agreed to marry him. Now he is from. Has Mayo. he heard Tennessee whiskey? I've no idea, Anton. Run it past him; it may change his view. Well, he's from Mayo, and a huge part of their culture, <laughs> those people, culture. is country <laughs> Western Irish country music. Like it's, it's he, you know, Midwest radio is always on, and it's. De- but you say like this, like it's exclusive to Mayo. A huge part of Irish culture is Irish country music. Yeah, I, well, not in that. What I big Tom in the mainliners. You're not a, a, a country music fan. I'm, I like Garth Brooks, but oh, not that's... Irish country music. No, really, Ray Lyman, Philomena Begley. You keep saying names, and that, <laughs> <laughs> those names mean nothing to me. But um, it's a huge part of 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 Irish culture. So I could like I look at this. So why didn't you watch? Why did you leave him on his own, enjoying his culture? Um, well, he watched it this morning as well. Neither of us watched because watched it it's late. It's the late, late, late show. I can't. I have a one-year-old. I'm exhausted by seven o'clock. <laughs> Why didn't you watch? Well, I suppose I was caught up in some rugby and then I just had some wine and just watched <laughs> something else. And, um, I, no, the reason I ask is because it is interesting <laughs> to see that there was a, a very, a very warm honeymoon at the outset with the early shows. And if you look at some of the coverage, it appears that that is waning. And I'm wondering if, if, if the experience that you're citing of taking the choice between alcohol versus the late late is is emblematic of a wider choice. It possibly is. Um, I think that because it was a reasonably seamless sort of takeover of the show, you know, it it, 
if you'd sort of were running at the top speed past the telly and had been in, living in a cave for the last eight months, you'd see, oh, there's kind of a tall, skinny guy with kind of fair hair and really not noticed <laughs> to a certain extent. And um, they'll always look, the late late will always be the late late. Anybody who's sitting in will probably watch it. You tune in to see what's, what's you know, what's coming up and you don't want to be scared or terrified. You just want something nice and kind of restful on the eyes and the ears. Lise, thank you. Likewise, Stephanie, thank you very much. Stephanie Preisner, broadcaster and writer, Lise Hand, journalist. The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.